0: Have you ever read or listened to a book that just hit you at the exact right time? It calmed you, slowed you down, made you think differently about the world around you and felt like the answers you've finally been searching for. That book for me is Mirrors in the Earth by Asia Suler. Asia is an author, a trained herbalist, a Reiki master, an earth intuitive, and holds a BA from Vassar. She is no dummy. Her writing and her voice is so poetic and beautiful. It made such an impact on me that I savored every word. For me, it was an audiobook. And anytime I needed answers and needed to neutralize a very charged mood, I'd go outside and I'd put my earbuds in and listen to her lilting voice. Then I asked Asia to be on this podcast and I had to finish it real quick. And I need to tell you, this episode is pure magic. Imagine everything around you comes alive in the most supportive and beautiful way. You are never going to walk outside again without looking at the living world around you differently. If you want to keep this podcast going, you can get all of these episodes ad free and early by going to patreon.com forward slash late learner. And you'll be getting a speed pass to heaven by supporting an independent creator like me. Here's my chat with Mirrors in the Earth author, Asia Suler.
1: Welcome, Asia. Thank you so much for having me, Allison. It's really wonderful to be here with you.
0: So I just finished your book, Mirrors in the Earth, and I have passed it on to all of my friends, and all of them, one by one, are calling me going, this is exactly what I needed. This is exactly what I needed, and this is your first book. Can you tell me about mirrors in the earth?
1: Oh well, gosh, that just warms my heart so much to hear. Uh, you know, mirrors in the earth—it's a series of of nature essays, and I what I say about it often is that these stories were given to me by the natural world by engaging with what you know has been called the more than human world, and there's stories that help us to see ourselves to understand who we are, come to learn who we are, accept who we are, and and through that, that journey of self-acceptance really come into our gifts. So what I have heard from the earth and what lives inside that book is this understanding that the earth wants us to see ourselves and see our goodness, because this is how we access the gifts that we were meant to bring to this world to help this time, to help in this moment of great change and transformation. So from this perspective, the earth is really invested <laughs> in us seeing ourselves, in, in us learning true self-compassion, uh, because this is really how we we step into co-creating with the earth and co-creating this next era that that is underway. And so the title Mirrors in the Earth came from this concept and and from a, um, an even more specific concept of this idea of the earth as a, a parent mirror. So in psychology, there's the idea of mirroring, especially when we're young. Um, in an ideal environment, our caretakers mirror back to us, you know, who we are. They help us to understand ourselves, our emotions, our, our gifts, our strengths. and And yet most of us, I would say, did not get the The kind of mirroring that we really needed to be able to truly see ourselves. But what's so beautiful is that the earth is a parent mirror who never forsakes us, who is always here for us, who is always ready to reflect back to us the truth of our own being, the truth of our goodness, and the truth of our belonging.
0: This is such a huge reframe and something that I live in the city. I live in Atlanta. Um, one of my very favorite places where I feel the most home is Asheville, which I believe you live in the West Mountains of North Carolina. Um, and one of the things that, that really stood out to me about your book is the thought of invisibility. And, you know, I, I, I think you did such a beautiful job animating nature in a way that felt sentient, like it felt like it was, um, it, it, Felt like it, it was alive, even though, of course, it's alive. But we're so self-absorbed, you know, as we're walking through the world with our heads down and our heads full, you know, with our, with our eyes down and our heads full. And the thought of invisibility, that as busy as we are in our heads, and something that really stood out was how we feel like, do we matter? Are we invisible? And the way you brought the forest or nature or birds to life was beautiful. How
1: do you explain invisibility? Mm. Yeah, I think we all go through periods of time in our life, sometimes even most of our lives, where we feel like we are invisible, like we're unseen. You know, whether that's literally feeling like we're not being seen or, you know, like people don't notice us or whether that's feeling like the essential essence of who we are is not seen and not understood and in in the book i i talk about going through a period of time like this of of feeling really unseen and of different times in my life where i felt that way and and how hard it is because as humans we were designed to live and grow in community and that being seen is actually essential for for our own enfoldment that it's not um, it's not being high needs (laughs) to want to be seen or didn't need to be seen. Mm. It's a, it's an essential part of of what it means to be a human being. And, and yet often in the the human world and human environments, we don't feel very seen um, or not seen in our fullest. And what is really amazing is that the, the earth always sees us um, and is, and, is always there to to help reflect back to us the the depth of our own multidimensionality and I talk about an experience in the book where I had I had just gone through uh, a breakup and had decided to move really far out in the mountains in western North Carolina off a road called Lonesome Mountain Road. If that gives you any <laughs> oh, idea of what it was like out there. Right. <laughs> and I was living by myself out there and was just going through a time, right? Where I I just literally was not being seen by anybody except for the postman who would come around every day. Uh, I wasn't going out. I was at the time I was really working on my business. I had left my job and I had decided I was going to, you know, work on my business full time. I basically didn't get out of my pajamas most days and i just was going through one of those times in my life where i felt totally invisible and and this one morning i i woke up and i heard this tap at the window and you know when you're kind of half in and out of sleep and you you kind of think nonsensical thoughts i was like oh there must be a, a small child crouched outside my window <laughs> which then i'm like okay i'm living on the top of like a like a hill in the mountains where no one's around It's probably not a small child. And I opened my eyes and it was this, this beautiful saffron finch knocking at the window. And it was just one of those moments where almost like it feels like a prayer has been answered and you put something out in the world with kind of the fullness of of your heart and this feeling of, of desperation of like, I need help. And then I, I woke up and this, this finch was knocking at my window and I looked and I, and I looked at him and he looked back at me he looked back at me and tapped the window again. And I just was flooded with this realization that all this time that I had been thinking I was invisible, I was being seen by the living world, that I'm I'm seen by the birds who are coming to visit my window, that I'm seen by the the squirrels who are looking to see if I drop any of my sandwich. I'm seen by you know, the deer who are roaming the woods, I'm seen by the trees. I'm always seen and I'm never not accepted as part of nature. You know, the earth doesn't think that there's a difference between human beings and the rest of the living world. We are part of the fold. And so we are always seen, we are always accepted. And in, in that same chapter, I talk about learning in a birding class, this concept that the birds actually know that we are in the forest and will often send a call down through the forest to let the other birds and, and hence all the other creatures in the forest know the moment you step onto the path. And so sometimes what we're hearing, those calls in the forest are actually calls about us, which just totally (laughs) blew my mind when, when I learned about that. And so, yeah, for me, it has been a, a, a place of, Huge solace to just realize that no matter what I'm moving through, I am seen by the earth, I'm held by the earth, and it is always a place I can go to to connect with the more than than human world that I can go there to be held, to be understood. I think what's interesting about that, at
0: first when I heard that, I thought, you know, it sounds a little (laughs) self-absorbed that the whole world is conspiring around you and noticing that. But then you said over and over again in your book that self-compassion is a form of ecological healing. Good Lord. Mm -hmm. Can we let that breathe for a minute? Self-compassion is a form of ecological healing. What does
1: that mean? When we have compassion for ourselves, we are very literally holding compassion for the earth. We are made of earth. (laughs) We are we are made of the elements. We are, we are made of water. So when we have compassion for ourselves and love for ourselves, that is a way to love and hold compassion for the earth. So that's at its most foundational, there's that. But then there's also the, the realization that we cannot give the fullness of our gifts, our inventions, our, our visions, our creations, unless we have Self compassion. If we do not have compassion for ourselves, we're going to be constantly cycling through um, times and and loops of self judgment. Which, if you've ever been in one of those loops, which I know we all have, you know how highly uncreative they are, right? Like it's you get so stuck in this hole of self judgment and and self deprecation that it can be almost impossible, actually, to really. Step out into the world with what you have to give and and what you have to share, and so from this perspective, you know the the world as a, a, a sentient being, the earth as a sentient being, which is something that you know indigenous people around the world have believed since time immemorial, and that in the Western world we're still kind of wrapping our mind around again um, this idea that the the earth is a sentient being, that that this this sentience we call the earth deeply cares about us and wants us to come back into caring about ourselves, true care, true self-compassion, right? That is the opposite of narcissism. And I think that this is really important because what we see around the world as, as the deep harm, the deep ecological harm that humans are causing. Yes. You know, this, this is coming from, you can sort of identify two themes at play, trauma and narcissism, and they're very much connected. Um, narcissism can often arise out of trauma as a reaction to trauma, especially inter- intergenerational trauma. And so why why do we live so far out of balance, especially, you know, in our culture, in the Western world, the trauma and narcissism? and And, you know, what what I struggled with for a long time and what the book in in many ways is about is about teasing out the difference between, you know, self uh you know, being selfish and self-focus and, and narcissism and self-compassion and how they're actually the exact opposite. Because for a long time I felt like it was selfish for me to focus on myself at all. Uh that my role was to to help other people, you know, from a very young age. I identify as a sensitive, a highly sensitive person and an empath and from a very young age, you know, I, I was, I received like the, the mirroring and the feedback, that part of my deep value was the way in which I helped other people, um, often putting myself second. And, and so it was a big learning struggle for me to get to the point of thinking, oh, actually, you know, doing, doing the things that I need to do to care for myself, to, to, Uh, love myself, to be able to have compassion and and forgiveness for myself no matter what, that that's that's not selfish, that that's okay, that that's not narcissistic. You know, narcissism actually arises out of a deep, deep need uh, for for this deep, deep need to be, to be seen and to be receive affirmation. And so when we learn how to have compassion for ourselves, rather than seeking it constantly, um, from other people, which is, you know, narcissism as, you know, as a theme in the world is, is a little bit different maybe than a, than the disorder, a narcissistic personality disorder, right. but as a theme in the world, it's sort of constantly, um, needing others to see and aggrandize you, uh, you know, and this is this is putting this this very human desire to be to be seen and to be accepted uh, sort of blowing it up and putting it on other people uh, in in a way that actually distances you from your ability to truly see yourself. so when we learn how to actually hold compassion for ourselves through connecting with the living world, the natural world, what we actually do is we sort of drain the power away from narcissism. We stop being people who will sort of naturally fall into perhaps fawning over narcissistic elements in the world and feeling like it's our responsibility to make them feel better or to show up for them. And we also drain away any of what we might perceive as narcissistic tendencies inside of ourselves, right? Because narcissism is a hole that cannot be filled. And self-compassion is the exact opposite. It's, it's being willing to fill your own cup first. And to know that you are unconditionally loved and accepted by this world because you are a part of this world. You are every bit as loved and accepted as you know the oak tree outside your window or the river that you go walk by. You are no different than these natural elements of the world. And so coming home to this space of, of acceptance and belonging is your birthright. I
0: think the belonging is theme is what's coming up for me so heavily when you speak. And I know that there are times when I have been all up in my head or stressed out and I'll go outside and I'll put your audiobook on and listening. I mean, your voice, you know, like you just have this calming voice that immediately calms me. But I think what is, um, what's interesting about this is that what I noticed that when I would go out into nature, whether it's like a little hiking trail that's nearby, it doesn't have to be somewhere grand or, you know, Arizona or Sedona or something, but just being in the woods or kind of tuning into the birds, all of a sudden I would feel whole. And one thing I noticed in the way you show up is you talk about, it's not about me teaching you. It's about me helping you remember, and that belonging, that wholeness—that's powerful, you know. Like it's—it's it's really powerful. I think how how that does that. At what point, you know? I'm I'm wondering. At what point did the did nature did that come alive for you in your journey? Mm.
1: When I was in college, I was diagnosed with a chronic pain condition called vulvodynia, which is a, a chronic pain of the the vulva and pelvic bowl. And uh, it's a condition that there's just not a lot of of efficacy in treatment in the western world. And so I I was told that there was really no recourse, um, that I would probably live with this pain for the rest of my life. And that the, the only thing that could possibly be done um, was to remove those nerve endings from my body so to remove um, remove those nerves and um, yeah at the time I remember just this like strong still voice inside of me that said there has to be another way and and I at the same time though it was a it was a really hard journey to be on to be you know to be living with any kind of uh, chronic pain is to, to often get very familiar with the feeling of invisibility (laughs) and then being very young and being in an environment that, you know, sort of supposed to be like a carefree time in one's life. I felt um, often like I was sort of living in my own world. And, and the, the way that I dealt with the pain inside of my body was by going outside. And I I was lucky where I, I went to school that there, it was, the campus is classified as an arboretum, and there was also, you know, woods um, that I could walk in, and a, a farm across the street, and so that's what I did. I I sought solace with the living world because I, I felt very much like there was no one I could talk to, and you know, this was before social media, um, you know, really even before like the rise of Google. Like, you know, I I would I would try to like you know search about my symptoms and I maybe found like, you know, one or two like chat forums or something, you know, Mm -hmm. like there was just so few resources out there. And so that, so where I went really for for understanding and community and support was to the trees and to the Creek. And I felt it was one of the only times in my life where I didn't feel alone. And I, you know, I, I didn't grow up in an environment that saw, you know, the Earth as a sentient being. I grew up in in the northeast of this country, in a, in a you know, in a in an environment where often spirituality and intellectualism were seen to be at odds, mm-hmm. uh, and and so I, you know, I wanted to be seen as smart from a young age, you know, so I kind of really uh, discarded this part of myself that i would call now you know spiritual but this part of myself that you know thought magically and and wanted to connect to the mystery and and wanted to talk to trees and so this was like a big reclamation too for myself because i started talking to the trees because it just felt so good to just express like what the heck was going on in my life like i am struggling and you know i just remember bringing bringing like the fullness of my heart um into the woods and and you know while i didn't hear like a voice on high respond what i did feel was this sense of like embrace from the world around me and this sense that that i was held that i was seen and that things are going to be okay like i didn't know how but things were going to be okay and and I did actually heal from this chronic pain condition. It took years, and it it was what initiated me onto my path as a healer. It is it is what what pushed me into alternative healing modalities to, you know, experience different things. See a naturopath, you know, start learning Reiki. Eventually, I became an herbalist. So it, it was the initiation for me, which I I see with a lot of people that you know something goes wrong. Basically. And it's and it's often in our health, whether it's our physical health or our mental health, but something goes awry and it it cannot be fixed by the current, you know, cultural systems that we live in. We have to search beyond them. And it's really a gateway. And oftentimes it's these exact moments of crises that push us out of our homes, um, out of our, out of our houses basically, and, and back into our home in the living world and, and, and to reconnect with the earth. And so that's really what happened for me. And, and I see that, you know, I've worked with thousands of people around the world and I see that over and over and over again, that these crises in some ways are designed to help return us to ourselves
0: this is where I want to dig in. And there's something that you said in your book. And I immediately went to my Google doc and I wrote it down and somehow it didn't save, but hopefully you can help me reclaim this. But it was something to the effect of, and and I think you mentioned it. I don't know that it was your saying, but it was something like your body is a map where your heart has been. Something about trauma. Does that ring a bell?
1: <laughs> hmm. I'm trying to think. Well, you know, the our our bodies you know they do record our experiences of our lives um and and it, it's it's a it's a beautiful aspect of our bodies and also it's it's an aspect that can be challenging and so you know that that chapter in particular talks about the idea of reframing trauma as something that actually gives our, ourselves, our bodies, our lives, dimensionality and depth, that it, it's not just something that takes away from us. Because I think that can be the, the hmm. feeling sense with trauma is like this, you know, this terrible thing happened to me. Um, and, and now I have trauma um, from this experience, whether it was a one time experience, or it was, you know, more complex than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we can feel like we're just damaged, you know, and that, that is it, that was a damaging force and that's it. And in the book, I, I talk about, uh, this, this theory, um, in the earth's creation called the Theia impact theory, where early, early on in the earth's formation, there was a giant, uh, a giant uh, celestial body that hit into the earth and its name was Thea. And it was an impact so large, it literally turned the, the entirety of our earth spontaneously molten. This is how huge this impact was. It completely changed the nature of the earth forever. And um, it set us slightly askew in our, in our orbit around the sun. And what happened with that being set slightly askew is that it actually created the ability for us to have so much more diversity on earth. Like if we didn't have that slight tilt, we, we would not have the seasons as we know it. It would be either very hot or very, very cold. And basically the earth would be not very inhabitable. And so it's, for me, it was a beautiful metaphor of understanding that these impacts that come in and, and shape our lives um you know, including impacts early in our own formation, that uh though they were disastrous in their own way, the impact of how the, the aftermath of how we responded to that impact, how we have how we have healed in its wake is is beautiful and distinctly life giving. And it's what gives us our specific seasonality, contours, diversity. You know, I would not be sitting here talking to you right now if I hadn't gone through that experience of chronic pain, if I hadn't experienced the trauma earlier in my life, that was a contributing factor to then developing chronic pain. And, you know, I, you know, I I say that even as part of me wishes, obviously, I didn't had never experienced these things. But I say that and I also recognize that it's part of now the the beautiful dimensionality of who i am the depth of who i am i don't think i would be as deep of a person if i hadn't been through what i've been through and so yeah i think it's it's um it's helpful to remember especially when it starts feeling like your your life is is defined by um these events that you you perceive as having taken away um from your gifts or from your light or from your potential or from your ability to, to look back at the earth's own formation and see that there's another way to tell the story.
0: I love that description. And I imagine it's hard in practice, especially when you are suffering or struggling or in pain. And one mm-hmm. thing that really struck out to me, you, you gave a lot of examples of ways to kind of co-partner with the earth or partner with the earth. And one of them that I just loved, and maybe you can share the story, is how the earth can actually take your pain. And a practical guidance that you gave is like, you can scream into the earth, you know? Like you can literally give your pain to the earth and what it feels like. And you had an experience like that. Would you mind sharing?
1: Yeah, well, one of the you know, one of the sort of examples or invitations that I give is to literally dig a hole (laughs) and like, yeah, yell into the hole, like really just sort of like, let it, let it all out. And, you know, I had a, I'm not sure if this is the the one experience you're, you're referencing, but in that chapter, I talk about a moment that I had actually sitting out underneath the moon where, uh, you know, I was just really coming back into this spiritual connection with the earth, um, and, and, you know, with, with nature. And I, I remember I would sneak out of my dorm room, you know, so my roommates wouldn't know what I was doing. I would sneak out and I would go into the little patch of woods near our dorm on, on full moons. And I would sit with the moon and, uh, you know, I was like sort of embarrassed by the, at the time, you know, like I didn't want people to know I was doing it. And I, and I went out and I was sitting underneath the moonlight and I just felt all this heaviness inside of me, just deep sadness, deep, deep sadness for everything that I had been experiencing the past, you know, few years of chronic pain and just trauma rising to the surface to be addressed. And I just, decided in that moment i said you know what i'm i'm just going to speak all of this out loud to the moon like i feel like the moon is is here to to witness me i'm alone nobody knows i'm doing this like i it's safe to speak this out loud and i there were so many things i hadn't even allowed allowed myself to say out loud you know just about how much i was struggling you know i i was i kept a lot to myself and and i and it felt so healing to just express just how much pain I was in, how much I was struggling, how how unfair it felt, how sad I was, how 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 hard life felt like it was, and I just remember as I was pouring my heart out, looking up at the moon, and just having this sense like this moon was this grandmother with this like illuminated face shining down on me. And as I spoke, I could just literally feel this pain and these worries like lift from my body. And I I felt that they were being received. And I remember this deep sense that came fully into my body, flooded me like moonlight, this deep sense that one day everything would be okay. I just remember like this, as if she was speaking to me, one day everything is going to be okay. And I, and I look back on that now and and i can see that you know i was i was really receiving from in this case the moon which originally was part of the earth <laughs> um from the moon this this message that i was seen that i was held that my pain was seen and and it was, almost felt like a message kind of it was like my i was sort of speaking out loud the pain of my my past selves, including my young selves. And it's almost felt like the moon was reflecting back to me a message for my future self, like the elder in me, the grandmother in me that was like, you know, this is this is a, a phase, it's a cycle in life and it will end. And, and there's a different future awaiting you. And I have moments like that now. Every time I go out and and I'm willing to just speak aloud to the earth. I'm I'm willing to put aside my feelings of silliness or shame and and just express what it is that I'm feeling and, and and allow the sense of the earth holding me and reaching out to me to to allow it in. And and with that nearly always comes this sense of of profound hope. Hmm. because really that at at the end of the day, like that is the energy that the Earth runs on <laughs> is hope and regeneration. you know the Earth does not see in the lens of of endings everything is is a transformation, everything is a beginning, you know, even what we perceive to be as the, the some of the greatest disasters right is just one part of a much 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 larger journey, much larger cycle. And it is an opportunity for new life to come in, for new evolution, new diversity. So the earth will always telegraph back to us these messages of hope because that is really the energy that the earth runs on. I love the
0: positive um, and hopeful way that you look at things. And I found it very comforting that when you are feeling like that, you can always, there's something close by that can help. There are tools nearby, and I wonder. And this kept coming up for me too. Do you? It feels like you are. You have an unconditional love, for the earth. Do people let you down? (laughs)
1: Like humans. In comparison. In
0: comparison.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. In comparison to the earth. Oh, for sure. You know, human relationships are just very complex. They
0: are, but Uh, how humans are very complex. How can you I I think the the real like ninja move is if you can have that unconditional love for other people. Like that, that really is, you know, the holy grail of it. And, you know, I am also um deeply empathic, but I'm also a highly sensitive extrovert. So I have a very different Mm -hmm experience, you know? Um, and I, I kept thinking about like taking this on and how much comfort, you know, is it hard to be out in the world with a lot of people that uh, are, aren't always so forgiving of you, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I, everyone's experience is, is different in terms of like their own nervous system and their own emotional landscape. So for me, I feel like in some ways, it's it's a lot easier for me to love other people c- unconditionally than it is for me to love myself unconditionally. Mm. Um and so and that's the way that that I tend to operate, right? Is like it, instead of being like, well, I'm going to judge that person for whatever just happened, I immediately turn on myself. Well, something's wrong with me mm. that they interacted with me like that. Like I did something wrong. Which is a very And path thing to do. (laughs) Um, so I think for me, what, what feels challenging about, yeah, being out in the world at times and interacting is, is, is. Because I am such a sensitive person, you know, there's, there's a term if people aren't familiar with it called the highly sensitive person that was coined by um Dr. Elaine Aaron. And it literally is a nervous system trait. The highly sensitive people make up about 15 to 20% of the population uh, across many different species. And it literally means you have your nervous system is just more, you're more attuned to sensory input in the world around you. And And what that means is that you can get really overwhelmed very easily. You get overwhelmed by bright lights or loud music. Uh, You can get, you're often very empathic, so you can get overwhelmed by interactions with other people. Often highly sensitive people are constantly tracking the world around them, including constantly tracking other people, other people's feelings, uh, you know, what other people are going through. And so it can be very um, exhausting. And I notice what happens in my nervous system when I get under-resourced. And, you know, introverts get their energy normally from, you know, their, their internal landscape or being alone versus extroverts really receive energy from other people. So if you're also introverted, then, you know, what can happen is, is your nervous system sort of starts getting into to danger zone yeah. of, of overwhelmed and under-resourced. And then you sort of go into your patterns, right? It's like, because you don't have the resources to reason, through the moment, you sort of fall back on whatever your patterns are normally from earlier in your life, childhood, developmental years. Um, and so for me, you know, those patterns were often internalizing it, being like, there is something wrong with me um, that I feel this way or that I'm struggling or that even this person acted this way. Like, I, there's something I should be ashamed about. This is something I need to fix inside of myself. And so, you know, this is a big reason why I wrote the book for other. Um, sensitive people and empaths because it's a hu- this this self love piece is a huge struggle especially when your pattern is to immediately go into a place of of self blame. So, yeah, I would I would say that for me it's it can it's harder to love and have compassion for myself than it is to love and have compassion for other people. And you know while I recognize people, you know p- people struggle right like we mm-hmm. we we all struggle. And yeah, sometimes I struggle with other people. Sometimes I'm like, you know, why did that person do it like that? Or why did they talk to me like that? <laughs> it's like, just you human. know, like that doesn't, that's just human, you know? And, and I think it's been helpful for me to realize that yes, while there is a specific set of the population that is quote unquote, highly sensitive humans in general, as a species are incredibly sensitive. You know, you wouldn't think it because we've been so successful, um, and establishing ourselves in nearly every Environment on the Earth, but we are super duper sensitive as a species. I mean, our our sensitivity to trauma is like immense. You know, like other other species experience trauma, and they're really good at shaking it off. Humans experience trauma, and it's like we need all these cultural systems mm-hmm. <laughs> to um, be able to to release it from our bodies. So you know, I think just having compassion for humanity in general, that somehow this incredibly sensitive species uh, was able to, you know, spread throughout the entire world. Um, and in in a way that, you know, we, but we sometimes highly sensitive people deal with their sensitivity, right? By numbing out. And, and so that's kind of what we've done as a species is we've sort of numbed out. We've been like, I'm not sensitive. No, not me. Mm-mm, no. Like humans aren't sensitive. No, they're insensitive. <laughs> it's the exact opposite, actually. We're so sensitive. That's I why we we right had there. to numb in all the ways. I think that's an astute
0: um, uh, observation. And I think you're right. And especially with trauma, big T trauma, little t trauma, narcissism, there's a lot more that's in our cultural landscape. And something that you talk about a lot in your book is like, we, we collectively, culturally, are signed up for this transition team to make more room, you know, to to be part of the healing of the earth and the healing of ourselves. You know, uh, something that you said that also struck out at me is you don't call it a higher self, you call it a wider self.
1: What does that mean? Yeah, this was a term that came to me when I first started teaching over a decade ago. and. And it really stuck with me, you know, because the term higher self, it implies some sort of hierarchy, right? Like there's a self that's above me, which is, you know, some, sometimes that works for people. I love the term wider self because it's something I'm a part of. It is, it is it is, a part of me that is is much wider than my current knowing and reckoning. And yet I am within it. I'm not separate from it. Um, I, there's, there's not like, um, a floor separating us. I'm not on the bottom floor and they're on the top floor, right? It's almost like, instead I'm at the center of, of the heartwood of the tree and, and the tree is my wider self. And, and in this way, you know, you're, you're always held and you're always within this, this wider part of you. And it also can, can sort of reference the, the wider self's ability to see the wider picture that there is this part of me that sees and understands the wider picture in a way that I cannot see, um, from my perspective, but I can trust that they are seeing this.
0: There's so much self-compassion in all of this that's kind of built into this. I imagine this could be like a love letter to yourself, you know, and you also talk about us being sacred volunteers. What do sacred volunteers mean?
1: Yeah. It's exactly what you said before about like we are coming here to be part of this transition team <laughs> here on earth. You know, we were born for a reason at this time. It is not an accident. The earth requested your presence at mm. this time to to be a part of of the dream of the earth and the dream of healing. You know, the earth is a a much older um wisdom and sentience than us. And the journey is, is much, much bigger than certainly our lifetimes or even the, the, the lifetime of humanity. And yet we have a very specific role to play. And so there's no accident that we're here now. And in, in ecology, you know, there's this concept of volunteer plants. They are plants that come in after there's been devastation. So after there's been you know, an earthquake or a landslide or a a clear cut, there are plants that will come in and start rehabilitating the soil and and the air to make it hospitable for other life again. Now we're We're very familiar with these volunteer plants because most of these volunteer plants are the weeds that we see around us every day. You know, if you go for a walk down the street and you see a dandelion growing up between the cracks of the concrete, that is a volunteer plant, right? And if you just let Hmm. that dandelion sort of do its thing over time, what it would eventually do is grow more and more, shed more leaves, create more compost, and start helping to create an environment where cracks can form in that concrete, where soil can can be recreated where a tree seed could be planted and the roots could grow and break that concrete right open. Wow. so volunteer plants actually help reclaim the land. So in this way of thinking, we those of us who are being born right now are volunteers, and we might at times you know not value ourselves, right because we we think we're as common and as un- unimportant as the dandelion before we realize that these very you know, weedy species are the species that are going to rehabilitate our world. And it's the same for us. Mm -hmm. You know, we are sacred volunteers. We came here to, to grow where we were planted, right? Not like you have to stay where you were born or anything, but to, to grow where you are planted um, whether that's, you know, deep in the country or in the heart of the city to grow there and, and by, by growing there, by tuning into, your self-acceptance, your self-compassion, and therefore accessing, understanding, and giving your gifts that you are bringing in an essential energy to the world that is here to shift the tide.
0: Your words are like a beautiful song. And I figure we can close on something that I wrote down. And you said, our world has hit its expiration date, and we are the deliverers of both its demise and its rebirth so beautifully said how do people work with you asia you have lots of ways that you are of service to the community and people that are looking to maybe reconnect back to themselves through nature
1: yeah i i offer a series of online courses i have both longer programs and you know shorter single classes if if folks are interested uh, those can be found on my website, which is asiasuler.com or the longer, um, URL is onewillowapothecaries.com. That is also where you'll find my apothecary. So I, I carry flower essences. Um, that was really, it's something I talk about in the book, but flower essences for me were a huge opening into this, this, world of, of natural medicine and of understanding my own natural gifts. So yeah, those are those are definitely two avenues to, to connect. Um, I also send out a newsletter every other week and that's really where I do my most personal sharing. So if you're interested in that, you can sign up on the website. And then I am on social media. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And so I also put out content on, on those three channels and I love connecting with people there as well. Hmm. I love something you said you
0: said my goodness was not in question I was seen and that is how I feel so thank you so much Asia thank you for your work and thanks for your time in sharing your gifts with us today
1: oh thank you so much for having me Allison it's just been such a delight to connect with you and all these beautiful people that you've gathered here
0: sheesh isn't Asia's voice like heaven And not only that, she has such a way with words. It had forever changed the way the living world, well, comes to life. You can buy her book, Mirrors in the Earth, and work with her in the links in the show notes. As for me, I'm working on a beta mastermind membership for you. Yes, you heard that right. And I'll be announcing it soon at a special introductory rate. So if you haven't already subscribed to my weekly blog, where I give you insightful tips to maximize your energy and help you on your journey of self-discovery, go to allisonhair.com and sign up there. As always, be good to yourself so you can be better for others. And if I don't see you on the socials, uh, I will see you next week on the podcast. Thanks for listening. (laughs)